The following seniors talk was given by Patrick Yunin Kelly from his home in Brooklyn, New York. The talk took place in the context of a one continuous thread retreat which brought together home practitioners and Zen Mountain Monastery residents over a week-long meditation. This talk, like all of our talks, is offered free of charge. If you would like to make a donation or to find out more about our online programs, please visit us at zmm.org. Thanks for listening. So this is from the Lotus Sutra. The Bodhisattva monk never disparaging whatever persons he happened to meet, whether monks, nuns, laymen, or laywomen, would bow in obeisance to all of them and speak words of praise, saying, I have profound reverence for you. I would never dare treat you with disparagement or arrogance. Why? Because you are all practicing the Bodhisattva way and are certain to attain Buddhahood. This monk did not devote his time to reading or reciting the scriptures, but simply went about bowing to people. And if he happened to see any of the four kinds of believers far off in the distance, he would purposely go to where they were, bow to them and speak words of praise, saying, I would never dare disparage you because you were all certain to attain Buddhahood. Among the four kinds of believers, there were those who gave way to anger, their minds lacking in purity, and they spoke ill of him and cursed him, saying, this ignorant monk, where does he come from? presuming to declare that he does not disparage us and bestowing on us a prediction that we will attain Buddhahood. We have no use for such vain and irresponsible predictions. Many years passed in this way, during which this monk was constantly subjected to curses and abuse. He did not give way to anger, however, but each time spoke the same words. You are certain to attain Buddhahood. When he spoke in this manner, some among the group would take sticks of wood or tiles and stones and beat and pelt him. But even as he ran away and took up his stance at a distance, he continued to call out in a loud voice, I would never dare disparage you, for you are all certain to attain Buddhahood. And because he always spoke these words, he was given the name Never Disparaging. So good evening. My name is Yunan. I'm a senior lay practitioner. I live down in Brooklyn where I am right now. I know I, I met a lot of you uh, who are up at the monastery uh, since I was up there um, for Rahatsu. And I know some of you that I can see on the other panels, some of you I don't know. Um, if you're new here, welcome. I hope this is helpful for you in any event. So I've always, uh, I heard this story um, a while ago, and it always uh, resonated with me. Uh, as I said, this is from the Lotus Sutra, the Siddharma Pandarika Sutra, and never disparaging his, his Sanskrit name is uh, Sada Paributta Bodhisattva. And it turns out, uh, if you continue following the story, it turns out that, that this was one of the, the earlier uh, incarnations of Shakyamuni Buddha. So Kalpa's in the past. This is one of the things that he was up to. Um, but I've always loved just the, uh, the sincerity and, and the simplicity of that practice. I will never disparage. 
in many uh, wisdom traditions, uh, there's figures of, of crazy saints or, or holy fools, even non-religious traditions. So you think of uh, Diogenes, the, the cynic, who lived in the, the marketplace of Athens in a barrel. Um, maybe some of the, the tea women on the side of the road in the classic koans. Shantideva, who we studied a lot, who wrote the uh, Bodhisattva Charyavatara. Before he wrote that at Nalanda University, uh, his fellow monks didn't think very much of him. They called him the, uh, the monk who eats, sleeps, and defecates. And, uh, but it's not just Buddhism. In, in Russian Orthodox tradition, for example, there's also um, a tradition of holy fools. Uh, so for example, there was um, uh, St. Simeon, uh, Salos, who was in the Syrian desert for several years, subsisting on lentils, just practicing austerities as a hermit. And he decided to come back into the city. Uh, he tied a dead dog around his waist and dragged it around. Uh, and then he was known for uh, attending worship services. And at the services, he would he would throw nuts at the at the priests and monks who were officiating. Uh, and he would also eat uh, eat meat, eat sausage on Good Friday, which was a no-no. But it's also said that when when he thought people weren't paying attention, he would practice works of charity. In the Buddhist tradition, we have this this notion of well, uh, this idea of, of obviously uh, compassion karuna is, is central, but there's also this idea of idiot compassion. Uh, that's a phrase that, that Trungpa, uh, I believe, was the one who came up with that. Uh, compassion, it's not really true compassion. It's not properly calibrated to the situation, if you were. As I understand it, true compassion is always uh, inseparable from prajna, wisdom, insight into the, uh, the emptiness of all phenomena, insight, direct insight into shunyata. And... Idiot compassion is sort of compassion without wisdom. So it lacks this foundation. I recently learned, uh, maybe this is uh, helpful. Uh, it was to me. I recently learned that, that Thich Nhat Hanh translates this as uh, this compassion not grounded in wisdom as sentimentality, which is uh, perhaps accessible. So, you know, when I hear this story about never disparaging, I, I, I think to myself, uh, what's the difference between being a, you know, a sentimental idiot, if we're going to use that word, and a holy fool? I mean, I ask myself <laughs> that a lot in, in real life, too. Am I just being sentimental sometimes? Is there a difference? I, years ago, I used to practice at a, at a Zen center in, uh, in Germany when I was living there. And it was, uh, it was featured in an article in the local paper. And uh, as a result of this, there were several letters to the, um, to the monk who was the, the priest who, who ran the center. Uh, it, a number of people got actually upset. Uh, and as I remember, he shared some of the letters with us. They were upset that we were just sitting there looking at the wall and not doing anything. And people were like, you, you idiots, what are you doing? That's ridiculous. <laughs> what a waste of time. Why don't you do something useful? You're just 
sitting there in front of a wall, a shoyat. Um, I was surprised that it that it it, it upset people so much. Um, but but as for never disparaging. So is 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 this guy a, a holy fool or just a sentimental idiot? I mean, he's in the Lotus Sutra, so he must be the real deal, right? I mean, the Lotus Sutra is is uh, one of the central Mahayana sutras. Even Dogen speaks highly of it, which is saying something. But I was, I was, you know, th there is a sort of simple-mindedness to him as well. Um, so I decided to, I was, was turning this over. I decided to um, to run the experiment for myself. So I, I had to go out and get groceries. So I was I was walking around and I decided, you know, every person that, that I came across, I mean, I wasn't going to actually literally bow, do a prostration because this is New York City. You know, I'm not, I'm not ready for being pelted with stones and tiles. But but I would I would practice this and and try to do it as as uh, sincerely as I as I could to myself. So I pass a homeless man uh, stretching out in the sun. I would never dare disparage you, for you are certain to attain Buddhahood. I saw a woman behind the counter at Popeye's fried chicken. I would never dare disparage you, for you are certain to attain Buddhahood. There's a police officer eating his lunch in the patrol car. I would never dare disparage you, for you are certain to attain Buddhahood. You know, I found it was a very powerful practice. I was, <laughs> I was thinking, you know, if I were to practice this ceaselessly for a few billion kalpas, I think I might attain Buddhahood as well. In the precepts, uh, the moral and ethical teachings of uh, the Zen school, the sixth grave precept is see the perfection. Do not speak of others' errors and faults. And like the other precepts, this is a precept because it's a practice. Never disparaging is a practice. We have to do it. And the reason we have to do it is because we do disparage. We do fail to see the perfection and we do speak of others' errors and faults. And for that reason, we need to practice not disparaging and seeing the perfection. You know, there's a lot of ways to look at it, what this means to, to disparage and not disparage when you start to take it out. For example, there's there's not disparaging the self. When you first hear this, you may think it applies to other people. I did, but 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 then you realize that that we disparage ourselves all the time. I mean, this has been a in, in my practice. This has been a real um, uh, edge that I uh, that I've come back to many times. And for years, I, I really struggled with uh, with depression, which was 
I feel was a result of this habitual uh, self-disparaging that had gotten in me so deep that I didn't even notice I was doing it most of the time. It was just in the body. You know, sometimes uh, I think when, when we practice, when we begin practicing and after, especially after, after a number of years, sometimes this stuff uh, from our, our karma really uh, bubbles up to the surface. It's like if you've ever gotten a drain that's stopped up and you get the, the drain snake and you go in there and you, you drill it open and all these slimy clots of hair and rotting food float up to the surface. You know, it's it's almost like practice sometimes seems to make stuff worse because all of this stuff is coming up to the surface all of a sudden. I think I think in my experience, but what's happening is that that we're starting to actually see our own suffering that we didn't see before. And in a sense, we become larger through practice and able to hold our all of our experience. We're, we're stronger, more confident, and we can hold it. And because we can hold it, it appears. We couldn't hold it before and we couldn't see it. But it does feel like going backwards sometimes. In any case, you know, to, to work with this, this uh, embodied uh, habit, habits of self-disparagement, I got to the point where I was really, I felt cornered by it. And it was, I, I got desperate because I, I had to get through and I didn't know how to get through it. So I got very practical. I would start in very concrete ways of working with my own body and mind. So I would practice getting up early, which we do a lot here, but simple things like making my bed. I began to realize like not making my bed is a form of not taking care of myself, of, of not even myself, but my, my life. It's a form, subtle form of self-disparaging. Or my posture, or how I would dress. So I began dressing a little bit more consciously by my modest standards. Um, <laughs> these are all very small things, but these small things can add up. It's like that, that old metaphor of water dropping on a stone. I'll eventually bore a hole through it. I remember I had to climb several flights of steps uh, every day on the way of work. And I would, as I climbed them, every flight of steps, I would, I made up a gato for myself and I would chant, in climbing the steps, I vow with all sentient beings to embody the enthusiastic effort of Virya Paramita, one of the perfections of effort. Every flight of stairs, I would do that. And of course, there's also the practice of not disparaging others. This is you know, perhaps the most obvious aspect of this, this precept and what, what I understand this bodhisattva to be practicing. You know, we all know there, we have many opportunities to practice not disparaging others because, you know, anyone who's, who's studied their mind for, for even a little bit knows that, that we disparage other people all the time. You know, at, at work, people we encounter, I don't know, in the news, family members, other Sangha members. Why do we disparage others, actually? It's worth asking. 
I think it's partly just habit. We do it out of habit, partly. Partly it's fear that we're somehow inadequate and uh, disparaging others makes us, it distracts us from, from our own fear or, or pain. Part of it is a sort of zero sum mentality. We have this, this view, this dualistic view that, that your benefit is my loss and my gain is your, my gain is, is your loss. And because there's only so much to go around, I have to make sure I get mine. And so I'm going to make sure that you don't get yours. I mean, this stuff is in, you know, it's, it's, it's probably cultural, it's probably psychological. And, and you know, I, I, as far as I'm concerned, it even goes back further beyond one single lifetime. I mean, it's, it's, it's immense. But we can practice antidotes to this as well. So when I, I, I have a practice when I notice myself uh, disparaging others, and it, it's a practice. But and you can get you can get better at it. But when I notice it, I will I will take a second and practice the four measurables and direct them towards that person. May you be free from suffering and the root of suffering. May you know happiness and the root of happiness, and so forth. I mean, it doesn't, often it doesn't yield immediate direct results. But I'm clear that it does yield results. It just is not always immediately visible. Sometimes, uh, you know, you can feel an aversion that it's just too hot and too strong. You know, you can't even bring yourself to, to wish that for, for this person who's really pushing your buttons. In that case, you know, it's, it's sort of like you're trying to look into the sun. Maybe this particular karmic stream is, is just too strong for you to really tackle head on right now, which is okay to see that. But there are ways to approach it indirectly too. You know, I can then practice the four measurables towards myself, which is not selfish because in the broader view, to disparage someone else is to disparage myself and vice versa. So maybe that's a way in. So the precept is to see the perfection. What about when there is a fault to be seen? When there's something or someone who's causing harm? When it's necessary to speak out about errors and faults out of compassion? You know, there are people in the world who are acting out of intentions that are not very honorable or who are, are drunk on deluded states of mind. You know, in the, in the story, uh, Never Disparaging has a good sense to, to pull back to a distance and to say his piece from back there. Well, you say sometimes it's necessary to break a precept out of compassion for beings. You know, I've always felt a little bit uneasy about this because it can get tricky. It it seems, it's always seemed to me very easy to justify one's own bad behavior. So I, you know, I asked myself, how can I be sure if I choose to break a precept that I'm acting out of compassion? I'm not sure there is a way to be sure. 
you know, you have to make a decision and do the best you can, knowing that, that you, you will never have all the relevant information, which creates a situation of, of humility. You know, there's always something that you can learn from the situation or the other person. And you might be making a mistake, even no matter how convinced I am that I think I'm right. And I may have good evidence, scientific evidence even on my side, but I might be wrong. You know, I found a useful guide to this lately in, in his uh, letter from a, a Birmingham jail, Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, is talking about civil disobedience, but I think it's applicable to working with the precepts just more generally. He says, one who breaks an unjust law must do so openly, lovingly, and with a willingness to accept the penalty. I submit that an individual who breaks a law that conscience tells him is unjust and who willingly accepts the penalty in order to arouse the conscience of the community over its injustice is in reality expressing the highest respect for the law. You know, he's, as I said, he's talking about civil disobedience, but if you, if you substitute the word precept for law, this works pretty well. You know, there's these three criteria. Do it openly, do it lovingly out of compassion, and be willing to accept the, the consequences. I remember uh, years ago uh, when Daino Roshi was around, I was sitting in on the, the Intro to Zen weekend, and he was taking, it was, which is a, an introductory retreat that we, we do every month for, for people who are interested in, in Zen practice. And he was taking questions from, from folks. And, and one woman um, was asking a question about uh, the fact that at the monastery, men and women practice together. And it, it felt like a real question for her. She asked, you know, wasn't this prohibited by the Buddha? And I don't know. My sense was that she had some experience of, of Buddhist, um, you know, an upbringing or some sort of cultural background. And indeed it is, it is, um, as I understand it, it's, it's unusual to have a monastery with men and women practicing together. And she was uh, asking about this. I felt though that she was in some sense, she was very drawn to it, but she was almost using this, this, um, you know, Buddhism, like like other religions, has picked up a good deal of uh, sort of uh, patriarchal cultural attitudes over the over the centuries. And I, I felt that she was, you know, I don't know, but but my take on it was that she was using this sort of against herself as a way of self disparaging, and 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 she was caught in it. And and so she asked Dido about that. Didn't the Buddha say that men and women can't practice together? It's like she was quoting the teachings against herself. And I remember Dido's response. Dido listened to her, and then he said, I don't give a damn what the Buddha said. The Buddha was wrong. Which really, uh, <laughs> it really struck me. Because, he's, you know, of course, he's not just saying that out of nowhere. This is a man who devoted his whole life to Buddhist practice.
but you can keep turning this, this issue of disparaging. What is disparaging? What is it to practice disparaging? What is it to practice never disparaging? You know, I've been, I've been speaking about disparaging as if it's self-evident, you know, what it is or that, that there is such a thing as disparaging. And I think this is how we usually experience it. You know, someone says something to me or, or I imagine maybe they look at me in a certain way. Maybe they do, yeah, but I imagine I experience he doesn't respect me or she thinks she's better than me, something like that. You know, that's disparaging. But if we, if we really, really start to look at it, it's, it's not so clear. You know, what is it actually? The Tibetan uh, teacher Dogo Kensei Rinpoche, in one of his commentaries on the, on the Paramitas, the Perfections, says this. Remember, too, he's talking about uh, uh, Kshanti, patience in particular. Remember, too, that if you can patiently accept harm, many of your own past negative actions will be purified and you will accumulate both merit and wisdom. Indeed, the person who appears to be harming you is therefore doing you a great kindness and is a true spiritual friend. As an expression of your gratitude, dedicate whatever merit you have accumulated to him or her. I mean, this is really, you know, turning, turning the mind and turning the, the, uh, the object of mind. I think what he's getting at is, is the question, you know, what is harming? What is disparaging? Where does it begin? Where does it end? If you really look, can you find that point? Where does, where does kindness begin or end? Can you find a boundary between them? It's maybe not as obvious as we think. I mean, I, I don't think he's saying that they're indistinguishable, and so why bother? Kindness is disparaging, disparaging is kindness. I, I don't think that's what he's saying. Rather, it's something that, that he's encouraging us to cultivate a view where there's only never disparaging. Not, not dis never disparaging in opposition to disparaging, but a never disparaging that, that's so large that it contains disparaging, that contains everything. Uh, never disparaging that's so large that it fills the, the three times in the 10 directions. It's easy to talk about this, but it's not necessarily so easy to practice it. He continues, when you look even more deeply into what is happening, you will see that the person being harmed, the person doing the harm, and the harm itself are all totally devoid of any inherent existence. Who is going to get angry at delusions? And these empty phenomena what is there to be gained or lost, to want or to reject? Understand it all as being like the vast empty sky. And this is the perfect uh, perspective of, of prajna, of transcendental wisdom, direct insight into shunyata, into emptiness. We could paraphrase it, there's, there's no one who disparages no one who is disparaged, no act of disparaging. 
for that matter, there's no never disparaging, no Buddha. As we say in the Heart Sutra, no eye, ear, nose, tongue, body, mind. But because of this, we're free to speak of never disparaging. We're free to practice never disparaging because it is inherently free. So, I hope you make good use of the rest of this session. I hope it's helpful to you. Thank you for your attention. I would never dare disparage you for you are certain to attain Buddhahood. Thanks for listening. Did you know that Zen Mountain Monastery is live streaming all Dharma talks and daily Zazen during the coronavirus quarantine? Visit our website to learn about all the online programs being offered at this time. Just go to zmm.org and click on the link at the very top of the page, or scroll down and click on Retreats.